Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today, we are uh, concluding our True Grace series as we look at the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 5 today. But before we, we open up and look at 1 Peter chapter 5 together, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you love us, thank you that you uh, forgive us in Christ, thank you that there is nothing that can overcome the power of the blood of Christ. Father, if there was something that could overcome it, um, then we who are here would have no hope for eternity. But because of the forgiveness that you offer us in Christ, we have a hope not only for today and not only for this week, but we have a hope for all eternity because you were able to do in Christ what we cannot do on our own, and that is to be seen as righteous in your eyes, fully cleansed of the stain of our sin. Father, thank you for that gift, and thank you for the grace that you have given to us that we might be able to stand in the midst of this hostile world in which we live. Father, thank you for the opportunity to follow you, and thank you for giving us your word. And I pray that you'd open up your word now, that we would all see it and understand it. By the work of your spirit, you would give us faith that we might believe it and follow you as a result. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in this series on 1 Peter called uh, True Grace, Grit to Stand in Hostile Territory. And the world in which we live is hostile, increasingly hostile towards the gospel, rejecting uh, the work of Christ. And, and that's not new. That's something that uh, was around even in the very first century. And so when Peter wrote his letter to these believers and followers of Christ in the first century, he encouraged them that God could give them the grace to enable them to stand even in the hostile world, even dealing with the fiery ordeal that was coming upon them. And Peter summarized his teaching in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, whenever he said this, he says, the things that I've taught you, he says, this is the true grace of God that you would stand firm in it. And as believers today, we, we come to this same book and we, we garner strength looking at the same truth that God wants you and I to know. We've been doing this all summer as we've looked at the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to see our final installment in that series today as we look at chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. But before we do that, I, I want to just ask you a question. How do you respond when trouble comes into your life? How do you respond when adversity, when difficulty, when extreme trials come your way? How do you respond and I don't mean just merely how do you respond on the outside. Do you have some kind of nervous tick or, or is there some place you like to go or something you like to do on the outside? What I want to focus on today is what happens on the inside. What happens in your heart? What happens in your mind when you're experiencing trouble on the outside? You know, this summer, my family went to see the movie Inside Out. Maybe some of you have seen this movie, but Inside Out is a very interesting story about a little girl uh, and what's going on on the inside of her heart, what's going on the inside of her mind uh, as she experiences the, the great trial of moving to a new city. And the characters in 
the movie are emotions on the inside of this girl. There's, there's worry and there's fear and there's, there's joy and there's anger and, and how all of these things interact together as this girl goes through this, this difficult trial is, is a very interesting movie to see. And it's also a very interesting movie to live, isn't it? What goes on on the inside of you when trouble comes your way? I'll tell you some examples from, from my life, just a, a few things that, that we've gone through, some difficulty that we've experienced, and what's been happening on the inside of my heart. You know, this, this book, First uh, Peter, talks a lot about the persecution of Christians and, and trials. And anytime I, I think about that, I always think about a particular incident in my life. I mentioned this earlier in this series, but I was leading a, a mission trip to France. And uh, we were in the south of France in the city of Marseille, and we were ministering to North Africans there and sharing Christ with Muslims. And, and uh, we got into a neighborhood, and things went south. Um, mean things said, at least they weren't in the language I understood, but mean things, I'm guessing by the intonation, they weren't inviting us to dinner. Um, one of the guys I was with was punched in the face. Our materials were thrown. Some people were robbed, all because we were there in the name of Christ. And I remember thinking about that experience, and, and I went back to the hotel, and I was the leader of this team. I was the college pastor at the time, and I was going around room to room trying to encourage these students. And on the outside, my response was one of, of uh, solidity and, and faith and encouragement, but I can tell you what was going on, on the inside was something totally different. On the inside of my heart, I, I, was, I was scared. On the inside of, of my mind, I, I, was, I was fearful. And I began to, to think as I sat there, God, are you in this? What are you doing? Um, are you with us? I was going through those emotions. You ever been there? Trouble comes into your life. What's going on on the inside? I'll give you another example. A few years ago, uh, three years ago, actually, uh, my wife had a kidney transplant. And there was a number of health problems that led up to that day. And going through the difficulties of that transplant and that season of life. It was a, it was a very difficult season, a very difficult time. And, and uh, I actually wrote a lot during that transplant time on, on my blog. And, and I had people tell me that the words that I wrote during that season were encouraging to them as they were going through different things. And I can tell you that as I wrote those words, I, I believed them and I, and I meant them. But I can also tell you that there were moments that I didn't write like I felt because I was feeling scared. And I was feeling concerned and I was feeling worried. What, what is going on on the inside of you when trouble comes? What I want to talk about today, and I want to talk about it, not because it's my agenda, because it's, I believe it's what God wants us to see. It's how Peter concludes his letter to the people in the first century. See, these believers in the first century were experiencing a fiery ordeal. They were going through trials. They were going through difficulties. They were being persecuted for their faith. Trouble was coming on the outside, and Peter knew, not just as some theory, but because of his own experience, he knew that when trials came, that battles ensued on the interior of our lives. And so he concludes his letter by encouraging believers in Christ of how we can win the battles, not just on the outside, but on the inside, about how we can trust God and trust Christ even in the midst of trouble and difficulty. And so I don't know what all are the chains that are shackling you down today, uh, but there probably are some. You came in here heavy. Hopefully this passage will lighten the burden as we look at what God has done for us in Christ. So if you got a Bible, take it out and open to 1 Peter chapter 5. 
We're going to look at verses 6 to 11 today. I'm going to read them for us, and then we'll back up and see three things today as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Peter writes to these believers, and he says this. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In these few verses today, we're going to see three things, three encouragement for us about how the interior of our hearts and lives and minds might receive grace from God as trouble comes on the outside. First thing we're going to see is this. Peter writes and he encourages us to know that God cares. He wants us to believe that he cares. He wants us to believe that God cares for us. Peter does this by talking in language of humility at first in verse 6. And if you were with us last week, you know why he's talking about humility, because humility is something that Christians adorn themselves with. It's something that we put on on a regular basis. Verse 5 talks about how humility is something that governs our relationships with one another. It's something that governs our horizontal plane, that I deal with you in humility and God wants you to deal with me in humility as well. Consider others more important than yourself. What's interesting as he gets to chapter or verse 6 of chapter 5 is that he challenges us to have humility not just on the horizontal plane but on the vertical plane. Challenges us for, to have humility in our relationship with God. He says that we are to be humble before God, that we are to place ourselves under his mighty hand. We're to place ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, what is it that Peter is, is getting at as he says that? This is what I think Peter is, is trying to say as he talks about humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Peter was saying, he's detailed in this letter how they were going through difficulty, they were going through trials, they were going through painful things. And Peter was saying, I want you to humble yourself and believe that the mighty hand of God, who has the power to deliver and to judge, that the mighty hand of God is in the circumstances that you're dealing with. That God is doing something in the midst of the trials and the circumstances that you're going through that ultimately will lead, lead you someplace that you want to go, even if it's painful temporarily. He says that we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, how do we make sense of that? How do we place that in some kind of a context for us? I, I really think that one way that we can help to make sense of that is to think of it in medical terms. Do you realize that you humble yourselves under the hands of doctors frequently? I mean, you, you're sick and you go to the doctor. And when you go to the doctor and you're sick, the doctor will, will give you chemicals that will kill things on the inside of you. And you swallow them. You'll go to a doctor and you will humble yourself to him and you'll have an injury. I remember when I, when I ruptured my Achilles tendon a number of years ago, I go to a doctor and he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut your leg open and then I'm going to stitch your tendon back together and then I'm going to sew it back up. 
Now, I typically don't go to people and pay them to cut me open. But in this instance, I did. Why? Because I was humbling myself under the doctor. And here's the thing. We get used to doing that with medicine. And we do that with people who are only practicing medicine. What Peter is saying is something far greater. What he's saying is that the the sovereign God of the universe, we humble ourselves under His mighty hand, believing that, that whatever happens, though it may kill a dream inside of us, though it may cut us open and expose some things that we wished were left hidden, that we can humble ourselves under His mighty hand, believing that He's working together His good in the midst of it all. And that though it is temporary, he has plans to exalt us eternally. And so Peter says that we are to humble ourselves. We are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, one of the things that Peter then says that's a great encouragement for why we should humble ourselves under God's mighty hand is because he cares for us. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We ought to be willing to, to humble ourselves under God, not just because he's God and not just because he's powerful, but because the God who is powerful, the God who is, the God who created all things, the God who is over all things, that same God cares for you. He has a, a love for you. He wants to provide for you. Therefore, we can humble ourselves underneath him. You know, one of the first things that goes when trials come in your life many times is a belief that God cares, isn't it? Difficulty comes, and you might think God is powerful, but he he certainly doesn't care about this because if he cared, he would have done something about it. My life is just too insignificant. Or we think, you know, if, if God really cared, he would care for me right now in the way that I want him to. He would do what I want him to do. This is, this is the struggle that we have in life. When difficulty comes on the outside, on the inside, we struggle with a belief that God cares. And I think that's why Peter singles this out. He says, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's very tender. He's very direct. I think if Peter were standing here right now, he would tell us the exact same thing. He would say, believe and know that God cares for you. And how can we know that God cares for us? The thing that we, we can know that God cares for us because of what he has done for us in Christ. The fact that God has sent his son to, into this world to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven and spend an eternity with him is definitive proof that God cares for us. Yeah, I've used this analogy many times, but my wife had a kidney transplant three years ago. Her sister Angie gave her this kidney that allowed her to live. And you know what? I never have to doubt or wonder if Angie loves Kimberly. I never have to doubt that. Not that I doubted it before, but if I ever had any thoughts to the contrary, I've got a definitive event in history that shows that she cares for my wife. I'm so thankful for that. We have a similar situation in history where God definitively shows us that he cares for us by sending Jesus to die in our place. If you ever are in a situation or a spot where you're wondering if God cares for you, go go straight to the cross and see God's love and his care and his provision for you. He says, cast our anxieties on him because he cares for you. What does it mean to cast our anxieties? 
That idea of, of cast is to take something and to throw it on something else. You might imagine if we were on a long hike and we had a horse with us and we were walking the horse and we had 100-pound backpacks on full of all of our gear for, for, a, for a camping trip. We might carry that load for a little while, but pretty soon that load would begin to wear us down. And then we realize, oh, we have a horse with us. And you could take off that backpack and you could lay it on top of the horse and suddenly all of that burden would go from me to the horse and hopefully the horse would be strong enough to carry it. In a very similar way, Peter says that we're to take all of the the things that want to weigh us down, and I don't know what they are, but some of you came in today with 100-pound weights in your backpack, weighing you down today. We need to remember that there is someone with us who cares for us and who is infinitely strong enough to take that burden from us and free us up to live the life he's called us. Because he cares for us, he invites us to take the worry and the anxiety, the uncertainties about our future, and lay it right on his back that we might travel just a little bit lighter. You're here today and you're chained. You're here today and you're weighed down. You need to remember that God cares for you. Second thing we see from these verses, though, is that we need to beware our enemy. We believe that he cares, but we need to beware our enemy. We see this in verses 8 and 9. In these verses, Peter names our enemy. He says, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He names our enemy. He names our adversary, and he names him as the devil. Peter wants believers in Christ to know that there is a real enemy that we're facing in this world. There's a spiritual battle that wages around us. We have a real enemy. It's not that that's just something that we make up, but it's something that is. In God's Word, he wants us to know we have an enemy, and that enemy is named as the devil. Now, there are a couple of different words used to describe uh, Satan or the devil in in, in the Bible, Satan and the devil. And, And devil... Uh, means one who wants to slander or lie or to deceive. Our enemy is named as one who wants to slander or lie or deceive. Why is it that we struggle with believing that God cares or that He's present in the midst of of our trials? Because we have an enemy who wants to devour our faith by feeding us lies in our moment of weakness. Our adversary, the devil. Now, it's interesting, he, he goes so far as to call him your adversary. It's not just that the devil is some bad person who had one foe in history, kind of like, you know, superheroes, right? Superhero, Superman has a villain like Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor's never done anything to me, but man, he really has it in for Superman. The Joker, I've never met, but Joker's out for Batman. Sometimes we can begin to think that that the devil is interested only in some, but what's interesting is that, that, that Peter goes so far as to say that the devil is the adversary of believers in Christ. He's our enemy. He, he wants to steal our faith from God. He wants to devour us. He wants to feed us lies in our moment of weakness so that we believe that God doesn't care or that he's not present. 
Think of it this way. You know, I've got a situation in my house, maybe you guys do at your house too, where I like to grow grass around my place. Um, I want to walk out and see things that are, that are alive, not dead. So we have grass. But here's maybe you've experienced this. I have trouble growing grass where I want it, but it tends to grow where I don't want it. Um, I, I have sections of my yard that are bare, but in the cracks on my driveway, stuff grows like wildfire. It's just amazing how that is. And when you think about what happens on, on, our, on, our, on your driveway, just the pressure over time creates these cracks and fissures, and then up through them spring weeds. Yesterday afternoon, I was out there pulling weeds out of the concrete around my house. Now, I think that that's a good picture for us of, of what's talked about in 1 Peter chapter 5 with our adversary, the devil. See, life and the pressures around us create cracks and fissures, and Satan wants to spring forth his weeds all around us. He wants us, he takes advantage of the stress and the situations that we go through to try to tempt us into believing that God doesn't care or that he's not with us. That ever happened to you? Maybe your driveway's not cracked like mine. Well, what do you do with a cracked driveway? You spray Roundup on it, right? And I think what Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 5 is that he talks about a way for us to kind of spiritually round up the weeds of Satan that want to grow in our lives. This is what he says. He he gives a number of different steps, a number of different things that we can do. The first one, he says, be sober-minded. It's the idea of not being drunk with the circumstances, not being drunk with emotion, not allowing what's going on around you to... To, to cause you to act irrationally in terms of who God is or responding to Him in faith. We're to be sober-minded. We're to be focused. We're to walk the line that God has, has laid before us. It says we're to be watchful. We're to understand that there is an, an enemy out there. See, if we are not aware that there's an enemy out there, we might think that any thought I ever have is God's Word for me. But the reality is that there's an enemy that wants to take these moments of pressure in our life and insert one of Satan's lies in the midst of, um, in the, midst of, of the temptation and the struggle that you're going through. Um, see, if we, we're not aware that we have an enemy, if we're not watchful, we can begin to think that every thought we have is God's thought, but that's not true. We need to be watchful. He, he goes on and, and he says... In verse 9, that we're to resist him, we're to resist the devil, we're to stand firm in our faith. I think the example of what it looks like to resist the devil, to stand firm in our faith, is what Jesus did when he was tempted. When Jesus was was tempted in the days before he began his public ministry, he stood firm in his faith, and he responded to Satan's lies with God's truth. He spoke back God's word to Satan. In the same way, we have a pattern of what it looks like for us to stand firm for us to to resist Satan and his lies. We respond with truth. This is why we need to know God's Word. It's why we study it on Sundays. It's why it's important for you to read it on your own. It's why we gather in small groups to study God's Word together. We do all of those things because we want to take this Word and want to implant it in our hearts and in our minds so that in moments of, of trial and difficulty, we know how to respond because God has given us the grace through His Word 
to resist the lies of Satan, to determine truth from error, to stand firm in our faith. And lastly, he offers this other perspective, one other way to kind of round up these weeds of Satan. He says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I think this is a great one. Because what happens when you go through difficulty? You begin to get kind of lonely, right? And you begin to think, I'm the only one who is experiencing this. And the reason why you think that is because you have a Facebook account. You go on Facebook, and nobody on Facebook is dealing with what you're dealing with. No, they're on vacation at Disney World, or they're, they're at the lake this weekend, and they're, you know, they're YOLO and all this stuff. Man, that, that, that's what's happening on Facebook. And so we think, I'm alone. But Peter writes and says, even to an era before social media and certainly applicable to us, when we go through difficulty, don't think you're the only one. Followers of Christ experience difficulty in this world. No matter how unique your situation feels, you're not alone. You're in a brotherhood and a sisterhood of people who are going through difficulty and trial as well. So we need to believe that he cares. We need to beware our enemy, round up the weeds of lies that he tries to bring forth in the areas of pressure in our lives. But a third thing that we see from these verses is that we need to behold his grace. We need to behold His grace. I love how he ends this letter. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's, it's beautiful in verses 10 and 11. It says, And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace... What a, what, a, what a great way to describe our God. The God of all grace. The God who is a, the giver of givers. The God who desires what is good and has the resources to to give that to us. This is after a little while of suffering, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a, what a picture. And really the picture is, is one that we've seen Peter make over and over again in this, in this letter. And that picture is this. This life may be tough. This life may be difficult, but the difficulties of this life are temporary. In reality, we have an eternal reward, temporary suffering, eternal glory. This is what God offers us in Christ. And, you know, we, we forget that because we're, we're, we're so much a slave to the moment. We're so much a slave uh, to the things that are right in front of us. And we get impatient with God, and we get impatient with His timetable, and, and we, we think that it's, it's flip-flopped, and what we want is, is temporary relief at the cost of, of eternal glory. I, again, this is an illustration I've used many times, but I, I, think it's, I think it's a good one. And it has to do with our dog, um, who's no longer with us, but this dog, when he was alive, could be absolutely controlled by his stomach. And I can make that dog do anything with a milk bone. The dog could be inside, curled up in front of the fire on a cold winter day, and I can make him go out in the cold by simply waving a milk bone in front of his nose and then tossing it out the back door, and he would chase it out. And that dog would not even enjoy that milk bone. He would just inhale it. He would swallow it, and then you know what he had after that? He had the cold outside, and I had the chair by the fire. Um, 
You know, we sometimes think that that's what God is doing for us. We think that God is waving just a little bit of his truth in front of our face, and then he's tossing it out so that we experience some permanent suffering while he is in here laughing at us. You ever, you ever thought that? Maybe you have. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, though. What he says is it's just the opposite. God is inviting us into the warm. Though we are in the cold right now and the difficulty, he's got a warm place for us prepared by the fire. And he's inviting us into his eternal blessing. And because all dominion is his, he has the ability to deliver it. And because his character is one of a giver, he's going to give it to us even though we don't earn it and even though we don't deserve it. He's going to restore us, the idea of mending a fishing net. He's going to bind our wounds together. He's going to establish us and strengthen us. Right now, our, our, our lives are not strengthened. Our lives feel weakened, right? I, I'm, I'm weaker today than I was yesterday. I'm more tired today than I was yesterday. We're in a weakened world, but there is a promise of one day, a strengthening that will come by God that will never go away. We'll be established, not for a weekend in heaven, but for an eternity, all because of what Christ has done and the grace that God has given to us through him. Peter ends this, this letter and he, he just proclaims to all of us, behold the gracious God who wants to give to us this kind of a life. Let's not get impatient as we go through temporary suffering, but let's hold out for his greater reward. It's after saying all of that that Peter concludes his letter with the verse that we've read every Sunday in this series. In chapter 5 and verse 12, when he says, this is the true grace of God, stand firm. 